We're here, we're queer, who cares? I'm Elliot Glazer. And I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. Textual healing. So in Italy, Italy's prime minister is basically just like a little mini Trump in a way. Her name is Giorgia Meloni. (laughs) I don't know if I'm saying that right. Giorgia. Dare you? I actually tried to get, I think the time, because when I started this, I didn't think about it, but I texted a friend who lives in Italy. He lives in Rome and he probably hates her, I'm assuming, because he he Mm hates, you know, Italian politics. But I texted him to be like, can you just like give me a little voice message of like how much you hate this bitch? And he didn't respond yet. But, you know, probably Uh a time different situation. But I know in Italy, the homosexuals are very much not a fan of Miss Maloney, Prime Minister Maloney, whose whose party name, the party that she represents, is called Brothers of Italy, which is like the weirdest party name I think I've ever heard. Of. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the, that's the majority party in Italy, and. Basically, what she's doing is she's coming after, like Trump, coming after LGBTQ people um, who she calls the LGBT lobby for two different things. Primarily, she's targeting um, queer parents and saying that, you know, think. I mean, because you think of Italy, you think of this sort of like European country and it's sort Western of like European, Western European. Yeah. But but Italy is still very Catholic because, of course, you know, Rome, but also in the Catholic Church. But also it is fairly conservative when it comes to societal things. So like gay marriage is not legal in Italy. It is one of the few European countries where gay marriage is not legal. Civil union is recognized. A civil union is recognized in Italy, but that is also under attack in Italy. And in January, the government issued orders that basically stops the registration of most children with same-sex same-sex parents. So for example, if a if a child is not a biological you know connected to the parent then the other parent can't adopt that child can't be because they they will not allow that that to happen then in march um they presented a new law that would extend a national ban on surrogacy to couples who go abroad to then get a child to adopt a child with jail terms up to or to have surrogacy with jail years uh, jail terms up to two years and fines up to six hundred million euros i know it's insane you wouldn't expect this from a country like Italy. You think Europe, but no, it's yeah. And LGBT LGBT couples that want to have a baby have to go abroad um, through surrogacy. They can't do any of the things that heterosexual couples can do and then bring the child back. And if they do, that non-biological parent cannot, if they are able to have the child in Italy, that that, that parent can't pick up the kid from school, can't attend to any medical situation. Mm-hmm. It's very much yeah. school, like 90s, gay parenting in the United States. It's, also, if the legal parent, the <laughs> biological parent dies or becomes seriously ill, the kid then could be taken from the the other parent, mm. not the biological parent, and then put into the foster system. And there's a concern yeah. that this will also then impact, you know, single mothers or single parents or other situations with heterosexual couples. So this woman is, to, to quote Brent, unhinged. This prime minister is unhinged. You know, it's, it is it is surprising. So when I saw this article, I was taken aback. I do remember last year, I think it was when she won or I forget exactly how the elections work in Italy, but I remember a far right candidate won. And yeah. and, you know, quite frankly, 
like I at the time was only concerned about how that would sort of impact sort of geo geopolitical politics with the Ukraine and 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 Russia and uh, the war in Ukraine, I should it say. It really doesn't. Um, and it and it didn't. Uh, so I was like, oh, whatever. And I just kind of rolled my eyes because everyone's always like, oh, right wing in Europe is still like fucking like, <laughs> you know, like an, an average, you know, not the case re- in Italy, Repu- Republican. But it this turns out to be this is a pretty these are pretty draconian policies and I'm yeah. I'm surprised I did look up the uh, just kind of as some average polls in Italy and Italy is definitely more conservative on gay rights than the rest of Western Europe France and the UK but they're not like wildly wonder, conservative no. I wonder if um, it is because of like if it's distinct like directly related to Catholicism or if I'm there's sure just a bigger cultural understanding that. But- but a lot of nations in in Western Europe are Catholic nations. And yeah, we, but I they don't think don't we can exclusively the, say the church. Catholicism. They don't have the Pope living in their country. I mean, if you've ever been, I'm sure, have you ever been to Rome? No. In so it's so strange how I remember I went. I've been there a few times, and like one of the things that shocks me about Rome is you cannot find a good gay bar anywhere. Like it is very <laughs> difficult to find it. There are so many times where I wanted to go to a gay bar, and they would be like, "We don't really do that." It's like it's not it's like they have it, but they have weird. It's it's like being in Toledo or something. There are there are gay bars and Milan is I would probably say the most liberal city out of all. I wouldn't I mean, Rome is pretty liberal. The actual people who live in Rome, but the country in itself Mm -hmm. is not necessarily that liberal. And it's really interesting being queer in because it is very much from what I've gathered from friends who live there, but also the times I've been there, it's very much on the down low. It's very much, even though it's open, people are open and it's, it's, you know, it's not like you're criminalized or anything. When, in terms of like interacting with queer people, you're not gonna go necessarily to like a gay bar to have the hookup. You're gonna go to the coffee bar and have the eyes with some, like, it's like a whole, it's a whole different mindset. And so I think because the seat of the Catholic church, the Pope, literally lives in a tiny little nation by himself in the middle of rome quite literally the impact that has on the rest of the country is i think is what makes it so different from other catholic nations not quite in europe because there aren't many catholic nations in europe but catholic nations in south america for example or in other countries in that they aren't as connected to the seat of power in the way you know what i mean it's like dc in a way it's like you have the White House down the street. So like the things that are impacting national politics, it seems like it's a big deal in the city, but it really isn't because it doesn't impact the city, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. Um, but weird, I guess, I guess. It's a weird issue, but what is so scary about it is you have, so she of course was able to get power, but then you have other candidates like in France with, I forget her name now, but she's also blonde. Le Pen, Le Pen Mar- Marine Le Pen. And, and also in Germany, oh, there's a whole, there's a whole subset of other candidates, sort of like alt-right type far candidates, far right candidates who are coming up because of this movement. I wouldn't necessarily say started by Trump, but ignited by Trump. That's allowing these oh, for sure. to have legitimacy. And I think it's shocking the system of a lot of these Western countries. You know, I mean, look at look at the UK with with Brexit. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I've always Sorry. noticed that the United States sort of leads the way is sort of, um, you know, the the leader when it comes to to geopolitical geopolitics and that like generally what we do, they like Western European nations will follow within three to five years. Mm-hmm. So when we when we push right, they tend to push right a few years after that. When we push left, they go back. 
to the left. And it just seems to be a, a pretty consistent, like, um, you know, uh, it feels like a, like yeah, a whatever. continual grab, like a continual grab at, for like the last straws uh, uh, of, uh, you know, conservative traditionalism, even if it is through this sort of kooky, yeah. nutty, fringe populist. I mean, I guess you can't call Trump fringe, but, but, you know, populist chaotic um, yeah. way of leading. Yeah. 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 There's a great show on HBO Max. Um, it, it's it, it didn't really hit in a big way, but it's called Years and Years. I think it's a BBC show that HBO Max picked up, but it stars Emma Thompson as sort of like a alt right political leader who then. Oh, that becomes, sounds great. Who then becomes prime minister, and she turns the UK into this weird nation of like crazy alt-right laws and stuff and it's actually like a really and it's a whole queer storyline of someone an immigrant story of them meeting and trying to become citizens and all it's a great great show i really enjoyed it but it has like it's like futuristic it, it takes place in the future and stuff mm, mm. in like three in like five years but it's like normal future yeah it's like it's yeah. not like super far futuristic stuff it's really interesting hmm. well Thank i'm you not i'm not gonna watch it <laughs> <laughs> Not even joking. We are here with uh, Avi Wisnia, a friend, a longtime friend, yeah. a musician, a Philadelphian, uh, and also a fellow member of APC Rhythm, my beloved acapella group from college, <laughs> with which Brent is still obsessed. That's uh, right. Avi is live in, in person from Philadelphia. Hey, Hi, Avi. Avi. Hello, everybody. I love that I get like Philadelphian is a, <laughs> a, a I want to wear it like in a sash right across here. <laughs> Philadelphia I, is a great city. I fucking love Philadelphia. I do Me too. Would you like it, Avi? Uh, I do. I um, I just bought a house here, so I guess I'm not going anywhere. Wow. Anytime. But sorry, small flex. Um, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I do. I do love Philly. Um, I grew up outside of Philly. You know, I lived in New York for a long time, but yeah. I moved back to Philly um, to be near family and to make music here. There's amazing music community here. There's yeah. amazing art scene the food is off the charts it's oh, just like great. it's also it's a great place to be well register to vote but yeah they, they call it like the like the sixth borough of new york but i'm like actually i find philadelphians this is going to be shocking for some new yorkers i think philadelphians are actually mm. cooler than new yorkers i do they're, they're oh, more that's, a bit, that's a bit of a they're more down touch. to earth they're more chill. it's correct it's correct i think uh new i think there's a grit. There's a there's a little bit of um, some real real juicy sarcasm yeah. uh, in Philly that is um, pretty wonderful. Yeah. Well, also, Philly Philadelphians and Pitts, Pittsburghers. I don't know if that's the right. Philadelphia <laughs> Philadelphians in particular are out of their minds, and like mm -hmm. when when it comes to like sports or like the Eagles. I mean, they're famous for like climbing greased telephone poles, eating horseshit in the streets. Like they <laughs> lose their mind. The streets. No, I yes. think you're actually confusing two different things that oh. we do here in Philadelphia. One is punching horses in the face. With oh. and, and the other one was eating a rotisserie chicken for 40 straight days. <laughs> both of which, both of which why Philadelphians take pride in. I don't understand it, but it's like, it's that weird thing where where like you'll hear something like that and you'll be like, why would that's not cool? Don't do that. But then when somebody outside of Philadelphia says, well, that's not cool, then you have to step up and be like, hey, hey no, yeah, hey, back off, man. Don't insult my city. Right. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, I I, I have to add to that. Like anytime I've 
done shows in Philly and there's not been many, but like the audience is out of their yeah. minds in the best possible way. But Avi, you were at that show that I did at that place that I'm forgetting the name of. Boots it's and Saddle. It's called The Boot and Saddle. Boot and it sadly Saddle. no longer exists. It's now something. Uh, there's something else in this place, but that was a great, yeah, Boot and Saddle. There's something in the people are out of their mind. <laughs> like, it was the craziest crowd I've ever witnessed. And that includes New York. Well, they really I, well are... first of all, you, you are a great performer. So oh, obviously yes, they were there for you. And um, also, yeah, there's there's a lot of passion in this city. Like, and people like being weird. People like being uh, very weird, quirky, very weird. and that's great. Yeah, I had, I, had guy, I had a guy at the show. I did I did a movie screening there of my the documentary film I did, Latter Day Jew. And the guy came up to me afterwards. Never met him in my life. Don't know anything about him. Lifelong Philadelphian. He said he came up and he was like, I was gay for like five years. And I was like, "Oh, just left it. Cool, cool." And what? now he's married. Now, now he's married to a woman, and all these things. And I was just like, "Philadelphia, it's a good city." I wow. picture that more as like I picture that more as a Utah conversation. But I nope. just want to throw out just just to save face here. I googled Philadelphia eating horse shit, and there is a video from TMZ of an Eagles fan that eats horse poop. Oh yeah, so no, El- Elliot is right. Elliot is right. Wow, Elliot, you have schooled me. I don't get the and, um, is in the face. I will not be watching that video, but thank you for letting me know about it. Did I hear that, that wrong? You- the punching horses in the face. I feel like that needs to be clarified because if anyone was as shocked as I was when I when I heard, yeah, you, I was a I need surprised. To know. I need to know more. All right, so as far as I know, this is also like a Super Bowl adjacent celebration um and somebody got drunk and there was like a police horse nearby right everybody whenever the i don't know i think it's like when the eagles win or lose everybody just yes. floods into the streets win anyway. or lose yes. yeah that's right and um so there was a, a police horse nearby and um I, you know i think one yeah. thing leads to another yada 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 yeah. somebody punches a horse in the wow. face so like that person got fucking kicked in the balls yeah and i know in the face himself <laughs> yeah seriously you know Same. and knowing philadelphia that's probably what happened next yeah like, yeah fucking touch that horse and then they punch yeah. him in the face so. good well uh you uh you are the focus you and your grandfather are the focus of a documentary that is now well it aired uh, locally in philly i believe but by the time this podcast comes out this Thursday, it will be available nat- uh, nationally on PBS. Yeah. Which is like yeah. my childhood dream to be on a documentary on PBS. What's the, so what's Avi, the you documentary? Have made it. What's the name of the documentary? <laughs> Brand, you're welcome in the family. <laughs> yeah, the, the documentary is called How Saba Kept Singing. And Saba is my grandfather. Saba is Hebrew for grandfather. Um, and that's what I called him all my life. And um, yeah, for the last few years of his life, he lived up until he was 94. Wow. And um, for the last few years of his life, we actually performed together. So I'm a piano player, a singer, a songwriter. And um, my grandfather throughout his whole life was always a singer. And so we would actually perform together. And um, I think part of performing together actually helped him tell his story because um, singing is how he saved himself in the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. He's a Holocaust survivor and um, he has a pretty remarkable story about how music saved his life and how music sustained him. And so this documentary follows us um, on our most recent trip when we went to Poland in 2020 to perform Mm -hmm. and um, talks about 
his story and the power of music and how he survived. Yeah, there's a pretty distinct connection between um, Avi and his grandfather. And also it's like his, the music is obviously a shared bond. There's also, it's also wild because his father, his grandfather um, essentially survived at Auschwitz by singing for the guards. Um, And then, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he sang for the guards and then was given a job uh, collecting the bodies of those who had committed suicide. Uh, And, and so like, as if all, if that's not already like mind blowing enough, he also, this is like, these are like two giant New York times features that happen separately. He also um, reunited after, I think over 70 years with a woman with whom he had an affair at the camps, like after 70 years, like after marriage and a family, like post all of that. And so there's two giant, two giant stories here. Um, And does, does the documentary talk about that at all? Or is it mostly focused on um, the, your guys's tour together? No, no, it's actually both. It's about his family and how he survived. And it's sort of through the lens of us traveling together because we're going back, right, literally retracing his steps in Poland, where he grew up in Warsaw, traveling down to the site of Auschwitz for this big commemoration ceremony where he's going to um, sing. Um, And it also talks about, you know, how I always knew growing up these stories about how he survived because of his singing. Um, But finding out about this girlfriend that he had in the concentration camp um first of all that he had a relationship at all was something he never talked about right uh, but the fact that she may have had something to do with actually saving his life not just um this shared relationship that they had but that she actually had some power in the camp to save his life and that um yes there's this reunion 70 years later that I actually drove him to in our family minivan up the turnpike um <laughs> Wait, where, where, um, where was she again? She was in New York City. Oh, she ended wow. up in New York City. Wow. She was like t- not even two hours yeah, away. Years in New- yes, for 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 decades. Mind-boggling. Yeah, we wow. never knew. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, and she's a, she's a remarkable woman, also, and like so, it's part of her story and his story, how they intertwine, and just the the crazy um, connections and the the horrible way that humans were thrown together right in this circumstance but they were able to find humanity in each other in some way mm-hmm. and you were traveling with him in poland and just everywhere you guys are traveling with the with your music i mean I've, I've been to auschwitz before and i i had no familial connection to it i had no real con- but it's it's one of the most devastating places i've ever been to and i can't imagine going there with someone who not only you love so much but also experience the horrors of that place and and the horrors of sort of what that life was like how was that how what how for you as like a young person being there with your grandpa you love so much what was that did that bond i mean it must have bonded you deeper but what how was that how did you emotionally handle that you know i felt first and foremost when we were walking around uh the camp and and just being there, even going there, I felt so protective of my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, like here was this thing, was he going to be emotional? Was he um, not, going to, not going to be able to handle it? Um, 
you know, so I felt very protective of him going in. And of course, there were so many questions I wanted to ask him. I wanted to know his story. I wanted to know how he was feeling, but also trying to balance that with not trying to push too hard and not trying to, right, take him anywhere he didn't want to go. Yeah. Um, so I was always very mindful of that. Um, and um, it was it was just so uh, profound to be there. It just felt like it felt very heavy, uh, but in an important way. And I certainly know there are lots of people who don't want to go, right, who can't look at it. Certainly survivors who will never want to set foot there or go back to Poland. And I can understand that. And that's why I was always so impressed that my grandfather did go back a few times. Um, and it's always this open question of what exactly was he looking for? Um, you know, he wasn't very open with his emotions. Um, uh, so it, it was hard to get a sense of how it was for him, but he kind of kept a remove almost like he was a tour guide, you know, like over here, this happened and over here, this happened. Anytime I tried to really press on the emotions and what he went through, um, you know, it was almost like that was, that was a bit too far, but yeah. my grandfather always tempered it with, <laughs> with this humor that kind of runs throughout the family. And I think has a lot to do with how he dealt with it. So for instance, we, um, uh, in one of our earlier trips, right, because Auschwitz, the the site, the museum that they made on that site is now so, um, it's it's a really popular place to travel to. A lot of people want to go, as they should. Um, but we, this was a few decades ago when it was a little less um, populated, a little less crowded. Um, and my grandfather, of course, wanted to take me, just, you know, it was me and him in a car that he had rented. And he wanted to take me to this closed off part of the barracks where nobody was allowed to go. And, um, you know, I said, well, how are we like, how are we going to get in there? There's a gate. There's a, like, should we ask somebody? And he's like, don't worry about it. And he um, just rolls up to this guy who's just standing there, you know, just like monitoring the situation. Um, and it's just like a little gate, but you're obviously not supposed to go in there. And, um, and he rolls down the window and this is all in Polish. My grandfather still speaks fluent Polish. And um, I asked him to translate uh, later because they exchange a few words and all of a sudden the guard just opens the door and we just drive into Auschwitz, like wow. just take the car and go. And we had like free range. <laughs> and I said, what did you say to the guy? He said, well, you're not allowed to go in here. So I rolled up my sleeve and showed him a part of my tattoo. And I said, well, I was already here before. Wow. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And he, and he said it with like a smile, like and a little yeah. twinkle in his eye, you know? Yeah. And of course wow. the guy was like, yes, of course. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. Your yeah. grandpa sounded yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He, he also, bad. he yeah. also, this is your dad's dad. Yes. Yeah. So Avi's dad is also this like, literally a big gregarious uh, <laughs> uh larger than life rabbi and it's so interesting to see because your dad would your dad call himself musical um that's a good question he he likes to sing and he likes music yeah but he never like played instruments and actually it was a thing between he and my grandfather um because my grandfather was not only a badass, he was a hard ass and he would like give people a really hard time. So 
He always, um, oh my God, he would joke with my father that the musical gene skipped a generation. Yeah, I bet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I was going to guess It's like, my father's not a bad singer, but. Sure. <laughs> But that was that was again like his kind of humor, mm-hmm. you know. Did, um, uh, uh, did did um did your grandfather when he learned about you being gay? Was that a thing? Like, since he was a hard ass, it had been through some insane trauma, but also like your very like liberal reform Jewish family. I was curious how. <laughs> What's that? Your musical. Anyone who's musical is a little weird, right? <laughs> well, I'm I'm curious how he how he responded, or if you if you felt like it was a it would be a challenge to come out to him, um, yeah, versus the rest of your family or anything like that. Oh, he was the last one in the family. I told actually. Mm. How did he react? And that was it was something I really worried about. Um, uh, uh, be not just because he's from an older generation, but I guess he's he's. Right. I do. I'm very lucky. I come from a very liberal understanding family. And um, uh, but I, I just didn't know how he was going to react. He's he's a little more old school in that regard. Um, well, in a lot of regards, I should say. Um, but it got to the point and this was I came out, you know, um, like freshman year of college. So I was like 18, 19. Ditto. And hey, yo. Um, <laughs> and uh you know, I like made it a process of coming out to the whole family. So pretty much, and my family is very close, right? They all live out in Bucks County and we would get together at my grandfather's house for Shabbat dinner on Friday night. Um, very often the whole family and it was close enough from New York. I would come in and my grandfather, uh, very much like a Jewish grandparent would always want to set me up with one of his, you know, one of his bat mitzvah uh, students, you know, who had grown up or, you know, some some girl from the congregation. Rivka. And he was always, uh, yes, yeah, Rachel, you should know, Rachel. Sarah, Rivka, so Rachel. Rivka. Rachel. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he was always trying to set me up with people. And it got to the point where I was out to everybody around the table, except for my grandfather. <laughs> and, and he was still trying to set me up with girls. And everybody's looking at each other like, mm, you know, oh my God. awkward. And so eventually I was like, I just I can't not tell him like I, he's the only one that doesn't know. And it's not like we weren't close. And I remember very vividly, I um, I it was actually because I went to a a group therapy session through NYU. This mm. is when I was still figuring out how to come out. And I will never forget. It was, it was very cool because it was all queer people, like of all genders and all experiences and all different, like all geographies from all over the country. And you could just kind of speak. And there was kind of like a, a moderator counselor and um, it was like my first step into going into one-on-one therapy. It's like, let me sit in the corner and listen. And I don't remember, I'm pretty sure it was the counselor was talking about somebody who came from a more conservative background in the United States and right about how hard it was to come out and how even dangerous it might be. Um, But the counselor was saying, you know, if you think it's important to you to come out, never deny somebody the chance to grow. Mm. Right. Like give them the, give them the benefit of the doubt, right. They might reject you. They might say, but they also might surprise you. And, um, I actually really took that with me to this dinner with my grandfather. Um, We always went out to a fancy dinner. He loved the fancier, the better. 
Uh, he lived, he lived large and he lived well, and I did not mind going along with that. So uh, we went on the upper, on the upper East side and um, I'd like waited till the very, very end of dinner. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to go um, uh, meet my boyfriend now. <laughs> and, oh. and he said, you're, you're, what? you're who? <laughs> and uh, I said, my boyfriend, I date, I date boys. I date boys now. I date, date I, men. men. I'm gay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, this was boys. <laughs> and um, yeah. <laughs> I thought he would get the gist, you know, yeah. when you yeah. have to specify. And um, and you know, he like paused for a second, and he was like, "I've never known anybody like that. I'll have to think about that." <laughs> and <laughs> it was just this really incredible moment where he he's he was usually so like he knows what he thinks about everything mm-hmm. of course yeah. to see him pause and take that moment was really like that you know giving somebody a chance to grow moment yeah. like wow he really that's opened really- up for me and at the you know and at the end of the conversation he said i still don't think he understood or grasped or really mm-hmm. got but but he said you know no matter what I love you, baby. And that was mm-hmm. what he always said. Oh, I love you, baby. That's, that's really I wanna, sweet. I do need, and so, yeah. I want to ask you about, there's that, uh, the you know, the Jewish saying that when someone passes, like, may their memory be for a blessing. And it's, and hearing, like, your grandpa's story, it's, like, that is the definition of a memory being of a blessing that, like, continues to give and continues to sort of, like, inspire others, including yourself, but also now with the documentary, many others. And it, it's so t- it, t- it touches me the idea of how like a little saying can be so like I- influential in someone's life and how you lead your life and so like i want to ask you like how your grandfather's memory being for a blessing how is it blessing you in the work that you do as a musician or even with this like how how are you sort of taking the memory of your grandfather and sort of putting it into life and living your life mm-hmm. yeah uh, he had such a love for life and he was always right. Despite everything he went through, he was so happy and just loved being around people. Um, and he actually really reminded me when we started performing together later in his life. Um, he reminded me just how powerful music can be um, that music can not only bring people together, but can be a, a powerful force to create shared experience and that helps create empathy and is also an incredible vehicle for storytelling. Mm. Um, You can enter somebody's world uh, through a song or a piece of music that maybe you wouldn't have thought to entertain before. Um, You know, there's a lot of of storytelling and music that went hand in hand with um, me doing programs with my grandfather. and I just saw, I saw how powerful that was and how much it can open people up. And also I saw it in him, how much he was able to articulate through music that he wasn't able to articulate in words. Mm. Um, and that, that just makes me feel like, like, um, it saved his life. What I do, you know, yeah. Yeah, it saved his life in many, yeah. in many instances. And I think yeah. it continued to sustain his life. Right. Even, yeah. even after he came to the United States, I think music was his lifeline. It was, even if he didn't think, realize it, music was his connection to his past Mm -hmm. so that he was able to hold on to that. Mm -hmm. And music literally kept him alive. It was the thing that was his driving. So, all right. So I love listening to you talk about this. It's so fascinating and riveting. 
But I do want to transition a little bit, and I want to get maybe some gossip about Elliot in college. Oh what my are God, friends! Like, <laughs> any, any fun stories? Wait, let me let, uh, let me let me let me. What did he sit on? So what did he sit on? Can I talk about the orgies? Is that, <laughs> yes. Uh, let me first say, not at all. If, if we're gonna if we're gonna get silly, I want to <laughs> not forget and pivot to your another grandparent of yours who. Yes. I also find so valuable. We once had lunch <laughs> with uh, Avi's grandma. Yes, and... so that's David's, my David's wife, Hope. Yeah. Oh, oh, I didn't put that together. Mm -hmm. That was David's wife. Okay, Hope. Mm -hmm. uh, same side of the family, same with his name. Yeah. I mean, the story is not that long. It's just that we had lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end of the meal, when we got up to leave, um, she was like, oh, I think she said like, Oh, I didn't realize you had such a nice body. <laughs> right no, no, no. I remember I remember the exact words because this is also a pivotal moment in my life because <laughs> you were like a good friend of mine that I was bringing, and I had never heard my grandmother say these words, but wow. it was it was very much like her, but it was just so funny that she she looked and I I swear she looked you up and down after you stood up. We had had lunch together, and she said. You have a really good physique. That's right. That is amazing. Wow. She definitely used obsessed. the word physique. I am it so was such obsessed. A, such a like wild woman. I fucking my college. Well, <laughs> Elliot, Elliot successfully, Elliot successfully deflected for two minutes, but we're gonna get back right. to there's my not, question. There's not gossip about college. I, I wasn't. I was barely doing anything. Oh. That's not true. That's, but yeah. wait, Avi. Uh, Elliot, you are enraged I, today. I'm not enraged. Uh, Avi, are there any stories of Elliot from college that you would like to share with us? Oh share. my God. Uh, there's there's really, I don't think there's anything so embarrassing that I could say about Elliot. Because we, we had a lot of good times, but I don't think either one of us were like really crazy and wild that would, no. um, you know, I, I just necessitate yeah. that hot goss. But I do remember the first, the very first time I met, Elliot was one of the first people I met um, at college, um, like at orientation, it's one of the very first people. And um, I believe it must have been the first day I met you, Elliot, because this is also burned into my brain. You wore a sweater that was like the color bars on a TV set, you know, from like the 80s when yeah. it like goes out. Yeah, just, just like a children's entertainment. Very, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like almost like a Cosby sweater, but a yeah. little more. A little more. I don't I remember the sweater, I but I but I was dressed. I dressed like a like a sort of like schizophrenic ch children's entertainer. Like I don't know mm -hmm. what stop, mm -hmm. what I was going for. But I will say, I remember the first time we went. I was with you the first time that we went. I went to a bar. Oh, oh. The wait! The first time you went to a bar. A ba yeah, a bar. Like we went to that bar that was on 10th Street uh, on the or I think yeah on the park on Tompkins Square Park, and. Uh -huh. uh, and you, were, I remember, I was like, I don't know what to drink. I don't know what I like to drink. And <laughs> you were like, well, what, like, what do you, what kind of, like, what kind of tastes do you like? And I was like, I like, you know, sweet juice, stuff. Juice. And you were like, you know, how about like, you, you were like, what about like a Bay Breeze? And I was like, yeah, let me try a Bay a Breeze. Bay and so that became my, my drink, a Malibu oh, wow. Bay Breeze. I and, want uh, to I see yeah. Elliot going in Maracuda on like harness night being like, <laughs> me too. Hey, uh, can I have a Bay Breeze? 
<laughs> Bay Breeze, but you know he would ask for like half the normal alcohol. Bay Breeze and make it light. Uh, make it light. More light, light than night. Uh, Avi, it's just, this was so fascinating. You were such a great storyteller, and, and thank you so much for sharing your story and your experience with your grandfather as well. So tell us, before you go, tell us where people can find you online, find your music, and also tell us where we can watch your documentary. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. produced by Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton. We must add that in there. Oh, wow. That's oh, huge. Little, little name drop. Yes, that is true. I haven't met them yet, but they have um, executive <laughs> produced. Yes. Uh, they have executive produced the film, and we are actually doing an event with them uh, in their hometown of Chappaqua. So I will be. Oh, shit. I, so I cool. will be meeting them. So I don't know. Yours. Tell us. You have anything you would like me to I used ask to work them. for her. I used to work for her. So you can. You, you can not say. Can I name drop you? She won't remember me at all. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yes. But the um, the documentary produced by Hillary and Chelsea um, uh, will be uh, premiering on PBS and it will be available on PBS um, and it will also be available after the premiere everywhere. Um, so it's nationwide premiere on PBS and then it'll be available everywhere and it features um, the music of my grandfather and also some of my music. Mm -hmm. um, and if people are interested in my music, they can go to aviwisnia.com and I am still traveling on the road, not with my 90 year old grandfather anymore, yeah. it's just oh. me, but I'm still traveling and performing everywhere and uh, keeping the music alive. And it's what I love to do. So and I want to say, I want to say just to get, get as many eyes on the documentary as possible. It's called How Saba Kept Singing. And if you want on PBS, they have, because I am a member, they have a thing called PBS Passport where you can pay whatever you want a month and you should support PBS because there are some crazy conservatives out there who are trying to kill public access television and radio. Mm -hmm. So please go support PBS, but also you can do it and you can watch it on PBS Passport, which I will be doing on Thursday, April 18th. There you go. Tuesday, Tuesday. Oh, Tuesday. Fuck Tuesday. me. I don't know. Dave, Alan, don't like... fuck it up. <laughs> you all can search for No, you did such a good plug. You did such a good plug. It was so good. <laughs> and another thing. So I wanted to check in on you guys and have a discussion about vices. How much are you guys drinking these days? Uh, just curious. My, <laughs> I like that you're that because that's my your, vice. Your language around drinking is so interesting because yeah. you're because you're like, how much are you drinking these days? And <laughs> I like I don't think of it in a like a unit of measurement. You are very strict about it, where you're like, I can only drink so much and I budget this many drinks right, for right. the week. I don't even I would never think of it in that way. And it's not a judgment. It's no, just no, of course, because it's like I'll have I don't know. I don't I genuinely right. like don't think, <laughs> think about it in a premeditated way. So I'm like, how much am I drinking these days? I guess when I do, <laughs> when I do, I'll have two espresso martinis if I can. Oh, um, God. Oh, God. God. Uh, like last night, two delicious espresso martinis. But I really nice. can only drink one. What did and you do a half. last night? I went to a bar um, uh, in Eagle Rock, like one of these like interesting. I wasn't lounge. Hmm, very strange. <laughs> yeah. I went with uh with Catherine, my friend Catherine. Oh, I but, love Catherine. But we got uh we got drinks and god the, you know an espresso martini it it can really sink or swim i'll you know i'll be honest yeah yeah go right. high you know one way or the other but man this place delicious i've been that to other great. places that have been a trip when they don't know how to make one it's a it's a trash bag you know now you're not driving after because martinis are strong 
Um, I mean, I'm I'm having I had one and a half. Oh, okay. I was fine. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I genuinely don't even. I mean, that's part of it too. Is that when you say like, how much are you drinking these days? I don't. It, it for whatever reason it does take a lot for me to get even. Huh. Oh yeah. Uh, to kind uh, of uh, yeah. Bust. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I mean, I've always been, I come from a big drinking family. So like the, the level it takes to actually get me drunk is actually pretty high, even though I would never drive if I had like a bunch of drinks, like, of course, of course. But I think Elliot and I both approach drinking in the same way in that we don't think about it the way you do, which is, um, (laughs) I guess the question is how much are you drinking these days? Yeah. The real thing is like, (laughs) I'm way down. And how and how much do you think about you have a chart? The fact that you have a chart that what is that? Because it's blurry. Because it's blurry. I can't. Blurry. I can't like get it. Yeah, but what, what? is it? Just explain it because they can't. I, I, I've, I've I've told our listeners before. I've for the last five years, I've kept track of how many drinks I have every week. I had a therapist that like got in my head about it, so I was like, fine. So I started. <laughs> I, I I started with uh, fifteen, then I worked down to twelve drinks a week. And I felt like I would keep myself wow. honest if I kept track. So if I kept notes, you know, just literally an entrance every day, the number of drinks, and then a, a, t- a tally for the end of the week. And I've now done it for like five plus years. Uh, and at this point, this year, my drinking is way down. I'm, I'm usually at around six to eight drinks a week. So I'm, I'm basically totally the lowest I've ever been. I just stopped drinking when I was home alone. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and that was like half of my drinking. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, you actually like drinking. Like, it's something that you look forward to. It's an, right. eager, it's an yeah. eager thing that you like. Whereas, like, I probably, this is being completely honest, I probably have 12 drinks in a year. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I don't, I mean, if I'm drinking. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm appalled. I don't, I mean, I never, to me, the idea of drinking to relax doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't equate in my head. I, it doesn't, huh. make, like, that doesn't, that is not relaxing to me. It is a part of an experience. So like if I am at a great Italian restaurant and I know that a certain wine would go really well with my dish, I'll get the wine. Like I'll get yeah. the wine for the experience, but it's not. It's always in service to the food, which is also the story of my life. Everything is in uh-huh. service to the food. Uh-huh. So I, to the idea of a relaxing thing for me is like us going to Alcove. Like that is a very relaxing, like I can share a meal. I can mm-hmm. bring bread with friends. And if there happens to be a drink involved, that's cool. But I'm also fine with an iced tea because the focus is the friends and the food. Yeah. And, so yeah. what do you have a vice, Alan? You, Cause you don't do drugs. You don't do, I don't think you like weed. No, I don't really. Um, no, I mean, <laughs> I shop a lot. I, I, I definitely. Yeah, yeah I def- that counts. I definitely have to be aware of, of I wouldn't say my spending, because I don't feel like I spend a lot. I'm very conscious of money, but I do love to shop. Oh, my God. There was a Sephora sale this weekend, and I spent so much time going yeah. over what exactly I wanted to buy, because I like to be intentional with the things that I buy. I never am yeah. frivolous with what I buy. But yeah. sometimes I feel like if there's a good sale going on, I should be frivolous. I yeah, should. You are so my mom in that way. Yeah. Am I? She yeah. like rela- She's like, I go to Marshalls to relax. You father. You know, yeah, my right, dad's right. like TJ Maxx again, and she's like, I go to relax. That's what we yeah. do though. Michael and I will go to Target just to walk around. It's a relaxing thing for me. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. one of those. I don't yeah. know. 
How about how about you, Elliot? Are you still putting gold foil in your scrambled eggs? <laughs> Again, gold foil is <laughs> such a Brent James Sullivan <laughs> reference that it's like I don't th- I don't think most people would be like, oh yeah, gold foil. I think oh, yeah, that's- <laughs> no, that's like that's like that's like st- anytime you've ever heard like someone's like, oh, the most expensive hot dog. I swear to you, there's a New York venue that has like the most expensive hot dog, and it's yeah. just because they put gold foil on it. it what it's is it? Shaved like gold. Shaved yeah, it's just literally gold. like flakes of gold that you put. No, I'm not um, putting gold foil in my scrambled eggs, but I need to talk about your vice. It, I guess this this falls into the conversation about your vice. It's you wrote, I'm thinking about buying one of those portable Narcans to have on oh, me right. if I'm if I'm near someone who ODs. So what is Narcan and who are you around? You've who never, you've never OD? heard of Narcan? Never. Narcan is that thing. So when someone ODs, in particular on opiates, uh, Narcan is a spray that can, if you if you spray it in someone's nose, it will virtually immediately reverse the OD. Mm. People will co- essentially be on death's door and they can come back to life within 30 seconds. Uh, they're needing more now because of the, the spread of fentanyl, which is mm. so powerful. They need three or four doses sometimes to bring people back to life, so it's it's a little riskier. But there was just a, a whole thing in the news about how they're they're gonna. I think they're gonna start making it like available to the public as a whole because there's so many overdoses that are happening now. It, who are you around? Last, <laughs> no, I live downtown. People. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, more than that, like I don't do cocaine, and most of our friends don't, but a few do, and I've just thought like. What if like I'm at a bar and like one of my friends is like dying in the bathroom because he just did a line of cocaine that had fentanyl in it? And why not have something like that on me? This is what I love. Brent's bag has bear spray, Narcan, <laughs> mace, <laughs> a flask. I mean, look, I'm I'm trying to be prepared. Absolutely. I'm trying to love- save our friends. <laughs> I just love that you wrote. Um, in the doc, if I'm near some, you need you'll have Narcan if if I'm near someone who ODs. All depends on how much it costs. Yeah, but I mean that's the thing. I, I I'm not going to spend a hundred bucks on this shit. You know, <laughs> this is very like the Brent Sullivan of yesteryear who wanted to be a uh a, a stunt a stunt man a stunt man like yeah. ready yeah. to like save the situation and yeah. save the day in in the case of a wild scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the idea of it though, uh, uh, of of that bag of, the that Brent's bag of tricks. He's like Mary Poppins, here's, but with ways to question, survive. Here's a question for you. Do you have a fire extinguisher in your home? Yes. I don't yes. think I do. I have a fire extinguisher under the sink. I, I do too. I also have baking soda, which is very important to have always on hand. You want to buy baking soda in bulk because it is not only a very helpful cleaning product, but it also can help you with many household situations. Oh. And on my balcony, I have uh, one of those like roll off ladder things, even though. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm like, obsessed. I do feel like, but I, I was given that as a gift. I did not purchase that myself, I will admit. And I. <laughs> I don't feel like I would ever be able to figure out that, how- that would be pretty scary. Like climbing yeah. down a, a, a rope ladder from yeah. fifth floor balcony would be very, I would have to be, <laughs> I would have to be in an inferno to do that. I yeah. Think. yeah. 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 No. Yeah. I, I got, I remember getting a fire extinguisher um, when I moved into my first uh, studio in LA. Cause all of a sudden I, j- I weirdly, I just felt this pressure. I was, I was in this big building. I'm like, what if I just fuck some shit up sometime and like, forget that I put something in the oven and I start a fucking fire. 
fire that's, you know, not going to burn the apartment down, but if I don't do anything, it will. And so, yeah, I just kind of felt, but then I had a neighbor who actually had, had a real fire to the point where the fire department came and I just, I wasn't home, so I couldn't help. <laughs> mm. I would, I, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a fire extinguisher. You, yeah, should. you should. It's important. They're like, yeah. they're like there are, there are like 20, but here, let me look it up real quick on Amazon. Yeah. They're like 20 bucks and there's, Oh, there's one. There's a $300 gold plated <laughs> fire extinguisher. That's, that's for you. Elliot. <laughs> what would your aunt say? Okay. Uh, Brent, what would your aunt Rona say about something she heard on today's show? You're right, Brent. Elliot did get very mad at you for no reason. <laughs> Uh, for no reason. I didn't keep getting mad. I'm not mad. <laughs> You're furious. <laughs> no. You were. Face no. went red and you started pounding the deck. It, no, seriously. You got very, you, I, had you, to edit you, I would say, audio. borderline incensed. My Aunt Joanne would say, may I make a simple request that you have Avi Wisnia on every episode from here on <laughs> right. out. Right, there you go. <laughs> How about Aunt go. Joanne? Oh, Aunt I mean, Anne, Anne, sorry. My Aunt Anne would say, I'm just impressed that H. Allen didn't suddenly go into Ave Maria unexpectedly during your chat with Ave. <laughs> I was dying to do it. There were two questions I wanted to ask him. I wanted to ask him how many times someone went, Ave Maria. And then also, <laughs> if his grandfather living to 94 made him think about death less. Because like, I feel like mm. if my grandparents lived that long, I wouldn't be so worried about dying tomorrow. Mm, that's oh, that's a go. good that's a good point. Interesting. I'll next episode. Yeah, next right time. now. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everyone. We love you very much. Join our Patreon. We'll do it in the beginning next time. No, we won't. <laughs>